Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Nick Bakoff, Managing Director of FinSwitch, the market infrastructure that provides the South African fund management industry with pricing, transaction processing, income distribution and data services. The organisation is currently in the process of transitioning to a blockchain-based platform. Nick, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Dominique, and appreciate the opportunity. I guess the right starting point is who and what is FinSwitch? Yeah, I agree. Uh, FinSwitch is a chartered uh, market utility. Um, we provide critical infrastructure to the South African fund management industry. Uh, we've been in operation since 1999, and we process approximately 1.6 trillion or about $100 billion worth on a year-to-date basis. Um, and I suppose what makes us slightly unique is that we're in a very fortunate position that the entire industry um, uses us. So we're, we're the single player and we connected to both the buy and sell side. So um, very fortunate. Um, as you mentioned, primary services are transaction validation and switching, fund pricing, and, and, and the data brokerage. You just pointed out you're, you're something over, over 20 years old now. What prompted the creation of FinSwitch back in 1999? Well, I think when one needs to kind of cast one's mind back in, in the backdrop of operational processes then where everything was sort of coming through by fax, um, you had all the manual capture and and with the associated risk you know uh, a single zero uh, became double zero or zeros were dropped or you know those sorts of errors that became quite expensive to the industry um, and really it, it was about reducing processing risk and increasing uh, efficiency and and finswitch decided at the time to create a standardized mechanism to transfer this transactional information between the various parties it was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned a minute ago that the, the primary services you provide are um, transaction validation, uh, switching, fund pricing, um, and data brokerage, instantly. But if I asked you to elaborate a bit on, on exactly what those services are and who you might compare yourselves with, are we, we talking Callistone, FundServe, Vestima, those sort of utilities? Um, yeah, I mean, essentially what all we are is a data and transactional switch um, using some proprietary software to connect uh, various in- industry players. Um, and, and as mentioned, we're facilitating this transactional, this transfer of transactional data and related data. Um, and that, that's why we, did, we, we sort of distinguish between a transactional and data switch because the transactional is a pure buy and sell and then the data is all the associated information around it. So yes, we're very similar to, um, to Calistone. In fact, we, we have an integration with them for um, outgoing offshore trades. Um, I think the one of the key differences is that we're the sort of key pricing hub for the industry. So all the prices are sent through to us and we act as that distribution point. Um, and, and we have a lot of people who come and collect prices, the Bloombergs of the world, et cetera, all, all use us for, for, for pricing. Um, 
we, we also extend out in terms of income distribution, TRs, asset allocations, and, the, and then the whole data side becomes pretty important in terms of MIS, you know, operational. So the MIS, we split into the operational view, what's happened today, month to date, year to date, that type of stuff. And then general MIS in terms of aggregated flows. So I, th I think most of these service providers, we all similar and uh, provide similar services. Mm -hmm. By management MIS, you mean management information services, right? Correct. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Good. Now, who are the who are the users of the service? Are you are you dealing directly with retail investors or with asset managers, with transfer agents, with I don't know private banks who, who distribute funds? Or are you dealing with with, with fund platforms? Who are you, who are your users? Dominic, we we traditionally sort of classify them as retail institutional clients, so the aggregators, uh, the platforms, product providers, um, and fund managers. We not in the individual. Uh, retail investor space um, at this point. So it's typically aggregated flows uh, to the fund managers from multi-managers, employee benefits, um, retail hedge funds. We even have some ETFs running through it. So anything that can be um, unitized. Um, we also, funny enough, have quite a growing client base in large corporates um, who are placing overnight money uh, flows because it's good audit. You know, typically those guys are sending faxed instructions still emailed with signatures where our application provides good audit trails, good security, et cetera. Um, and it reduces, again, the elimination of typically very large numbers being manually captured. So... Um, we've seen that also growing quite a lot. Now, you, you've mentioned that there are similarities, but also differences between, say, how Calistone operates um, in, in Europe and, and in Asia. How would you say the structure of the South African fund markets differs from, say, the UK or Australian or even US markets? Are there very marked differences or not? Um, Dominic, it's... it's Maybe difficult for me to do a direct comparison because I'm I'm not totally familiar with all the ins and outs. Um, I, I think obviously the, the the most the one that stands out the most is that we're not dealing with significant cross border flows, so it's typically sub sub Sahara Africa where our flows. Um, so so we've got significantly uh, simpler regulation to deal with. Um, I think the other thing that stands out is settlement is on T0 uh, and confirmation on T1, i.e. you paying in anticipation of confirmation, which is slightly unique and different. Um, from what we see with our Calistone flows, that confirmation can take sort of five days um, to take place, where our settlement T0 and confirmation T1. I think that's that's about all I can comment on at this point. I'm sure there are other differences, but I, I, I don't uh, have that uh, on hand. Apologies. No need to apologize for not fully understanding how the fund markets work in multiple jurisdictions. I don't think any of us know that. Um, something you said a minute ago about uh, servicing employee benefits. You also mentioned that um, corporate cash deposits is, is a business use service as well so it's not just funds you're doing you're you're doing and you're doing other stuff as well and 
anything that can be unitized is, is the phrase you used. And how many things can be unitized? Uh, tell me what, what else are you doing is a more sensible way to ask that question. Yeah, I, th- I think I think we've pretty much covered it. I mean, the, the interesting bit has been the, the growing uh, retail hedge funds. Um, so we're seeing that picking up. The employee benefits is uh, growing very, very fast. Um, so, you know, essentially there they, they're investing in pooled or segregated funds that are, that are being unitized again. Um, so, yeah, our, our platform is, is quite happy to, to handle that. So um, that's the extent uh, of provided at the moment. Um, Do you include pensions? Are they something you cover as well? No, not at this point. Not at this point. Unless they're in fund form, I guess. I- exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, I should have asked you this earlier, but who owns FinSwitch? Um, yeah, so, so, so it goes back right to the early days where FinSwitch was started by um, uh, FinSource, funny enough, a, a, a TPA at the, at, at the time. And, um, and they set it up to help reduce uh, that processing risk and, and quickly realized at the time that it quite difficult um, to get everybody on board because you really needed significant players. And so it was opened up to the, to the industry um, and a, a number of the large players came on board um, and, and funded it until you know, um, the company really could sustain and, and uh, secure its, its ongoing uh, viability. So it's it currently now it's with all the aggregation and uh, rationalization in the market down to about eight shareholders. So they're typically the large industry players. Um, and, and really the objective was, was to provide a common service for everybody um, that was secure, cheap and efficient and reduced risk. Um, and the other interesting thing is that they insisted that there was a, a profit cap put on the business. So which, which is interesting because it, while we operate as a, as a, as a normal company, profit motive, managed costs, et cetera, with the profit cap, it creates the incentive to reinvest in the platform and, and enhance it uh, for the benefit of the industry. Um, I find it quite fascinating, actually, when you get all the shareholders around the table, because outside of the room, they're fierce competitors, but sitting around, there's a certain sort of collective, they put on their collective hat and what can we do for the benefit of all of us? And, and it's, it's quite uh, enlightening actually. And uh, so that they, they take a very progressive view on doing for the common good. Um, so, so it's been a, a really great experience. Right, so the profit cap releases resources to be, to be reinvested in making the, the service better. And one of the ways that, um, money is being reinvested is of course switching to a to this blockchain based model which which I mentioned at the outset now what was the what was the thinking what was the attraction of moving to to blockchain oh, it's, it, that's that's such an awesome question because it's uh, there are many many parts to it but I, I think if I distill it into to one sentence it's the single transparent and immutable record of ownership I mean, that kind of sums it all up. But um, I think if we step back, you know, at the time, Finswitch was, you know, let's go back, I think 2017. 
started looking around to say, well, what else could we do to help our clients? And the reality was with the current technology and the current designs that we had, there, there was not a lot. Um, and yet our, our clients, I mean, and there, there are lots of um, consultancy papers out there were telling everybody about increasing operational technology costs, the, the limited scope with the current operating models to reduce it, the speed of change that was happening around and, and the speed of um, you know, increasing de uh, investor demands. And, and it was really about how you know, the uncertainty is the sustainability of the current industry practices and platforms, um, you know, what could be done. And, and so we, we had to look in the mirror and say, well, actually there wasn't anything we could do as we, as we were. Um, you know, I think there's also this really increasing um, pressure to democratize investments and savings. And, and in order to do that, you've got to reduce these escalating admin costs. And, and the more I looked at blockchain, the reality was it was an, an amazing opportunity to redesign and actually delaminate the current operational process because that's, that's what it can do. Um, so, you know, that's started triggering the interest. Um, and I suppose we also needed to position ourselves for the future and wanted to drive change domestically. Um, because the reality was that we couldn't, with our current infrastructure and technology stack, we couldn't compete with the emerging technologies. And if we didn't do it, somebody else was going to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think those, those were some of the key drivers. Mm -hmm. So it's a decision to disrupt yourselves before <laughs> you were disrupted <laughs> to some extent. Um, time, now, will tell, time will tell. Now, um, so it was, a, it was a bold decision, clearly. And uh, despite sitting under this, this profit cap, the, um, the board and the shareholders must have taken some, some persuading. How enthusiastic were they when you went to them with this idea? Um, not at all. <laughs> Blockchain, what? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, there, there was certain hesitancy. Um, and and, and the, the first thing was keep a watching brief. Okay, it sounds interesting, but we're not sure. Let's watch this. And then, you know, a, as we saw, um, there, there were lots of proof of concepts happening all around the world, people, uh, various initiatives. And these were starting to evolve very quickly and, and some of them were starting to move from sort of proof of concept to, you know, scalable solutions. Um, I think what's important is that our board takes a longer term view uh, in terms of their strategic investment decisions. And they, they, they acknowledged very quickly that what we had was not sustainable and they acknowledged the risks that that posed. Um, and, and really, it was what, what were the alternatives? Um, and, I, and I think another challenge is that most boards have is they, they, they like a neatly packaged proposal that's got defined outcomes, uh, a nicely measured return on investment. And, and in terms of blockchain, you know, what does it mean? Um, that the roadmap is not that clearly defined and the outcome is not that certain. Um, and, and this need to trust the technology, I mean, it's, it's, it's massive because I think that's a key thing is trust the technology. Um, and then you've got all this distraction and noise around Bitcoin that, that, that can be uh, quite destructive actually in terms of 
these types of solution. Um, but I think so. It, it was a process that of myself constantly feeding them with updates, what was happening. Um, and, and I think we also started shaping our own understanding and, and approach. Um, uh, I worked closely with um, Dieter Helfer from Alexia and, and slowly strategic um, approach for, you know, became more apparent. One of the key strategic decisions that we took was that we would migrate our clients onto this blockchain without any disruption to existing business uh, as usual uh, processes and activities. Um, and then that would allow the client base to leverage and adopt the opportunities of blockchain at their own pace and time. And, and I think that's been critical to, um, and, and it'll come in if we talk about project principles really, um, it was a key driver. Um, how do we move this without disrupting those that don't want to move um, and creating massive change in, in current status quo and operational process? So I think as that formulated, the board became a lot more comfortable then to process. Um, I'll be as bold to say, I also think the risk of somebody else doing it was a major determinant and rather be leading than following. So, <laughs> Yeah, now, you, you use the term that project principles, which is, which is an interesting one. And as you were talking about um, allowing people to transition at their own pace, it put me in mind of, of the transition to ISO 20022 in the payments industry, where the same principle is at work and you get all the big banks doing it, but you get this long tail of, of smaller players who are just not going to do it because they can't afford to at the end of the time or not interested or don't understand it. So you're always going to have a group of, of, of users who are not going to like change so that's quite a tough principle to to operate by but t tell me more about that and, and, and tell us what other principles you you adopted as you shaped this project yeah you, you're so you're so correct i mean industry hates change and one and two is very slow to change and so, so we we didn't want to be stuck between two platforms, having some on the old, some on the new. So it was critical that we did an entire lift and shift of the industry onto a blockchain-enabled platform. Okay. Um, and, and, and that then allowed those that didn't want to change and continued to use the existing processes to do that, but at the same time provided those uh, who, who wanted to leverage the, the sort of uh, benefits of blockchain and start re-engineering their operational process to do so. Um, so essentially, we, we, we're having a cutover weekend. I mean, literally Friday, you're using the old system. Monday, you're onto the new system. Um, the, the existing um, automated processes will all be in place. Uh, the the existing manual process for those who still use manual processes are still in place. But if you lift the bonnet underneath is some pretty serious tech um, and all the transactions are immediately on the train. Um, so, so, th so that was the number one priority. Um, the second one is with, with any change like this and uncertainty is you've got to remove as much of the noise as possible that gets associated um, and create a smooth, a, a glide path for clients to transition. So, I mean, a simple example is node hosting. I mean, 
our view at the moment is that clients initially won't want to set up their own nodes, host their, uh, um, et cetera, and all the associated infrastructure. So one of the things is we'll be together with FNZ creating uh, a whole nosting environment. We'll create ready-made hooks uh, in terms of the contracts through the, through the nodes for those who want to integrate uh, the existing um, applications. But for the rest, it's business as usual. We, we use web services that will still be in place. We migrating all clients to the new ISO standard through, through a new API. Um, and that will also provide significant more benefits for those who want to do it. So, so that was a key principle, the lift and shift I mentioned, and then also the software as a service solution was that we didn't want to build our own solution. Um, so those were some of the key principles that we, we set out in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the users likewise can, can use whatever service providers or software vendors or they choose. It's, kind of, it's an open architecture platform, right? Okay, sorry, that, that's such a crucial point and uh, apologies, I forgot that one. Uh, it, it's a major one. Um, so, so one of the one of the things is we had quite a debate as to how how many stack services on top of the chain we should provide, and and there were calls for us to provide complete end to end. Uh, but at the end of the day, then we'd start competing with the market, and we wanted to make sure that essentially we remained true to our principle, which was just the conduit, um, and and hence the open architecture. So we would provide some limited services on top of that, such as settlement, but then the rest was open for any vendor to come in via the APIs um, and for the, the market to choose who they wanted to uh, partner with uh, in terms of vendors, select their own vendor. It wasn't up to FinSwitch to determine that for them. So I think... I think that was key as well. And um, it surprised quite a lot of people because I think the tendency is there's a lot of value in the stack services on top, but it was certainly not an area that we wanted to uh, find ourselves in. Um, there are far better uh, vendors um, with better skills who best better position to, to leverage that. All right, so the users can choose their own vendor they don't have to run a node unless they feel ready to do that. But you have got this 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 cutover weekend. Um, you know, come you know, come in on Monday. It's going to be different from what you left on Friday. So where is the where has the project actually got to? We've talked about transitioning. Are, are you are you kind of on on target with where you expect it to be by this point, or are you falling behind? Um, tough question, and the answer is um, no, we, uh, we wanted to be live already. So yes, we are behind. Um, I think what, what happened is that as, as we got into the detail with the team, um, we saw there were opportunities to enhance uh, some of the current processes um, that, that we had um, and leverage the opportunity in terms of the sort of international best practice. Um, and particularly looking forward in terms of data distribution, because I think that's going to be key, the, the access to and the monetization of data. And, and we spent quite a bit of time in looking at how was the best way to structure that, um, to, to leverage that opportunity. And we took a decision then that it would be better to 
delay the project, get that right uh, in terms of the architecture and the build. So right now we're pretty much in the home straight. Um, we're looking to be live uh, third quarter this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, we well down the track. Um, we've, we migrated all the clients' uh, static and transactional data um, and we've been running real time uh, deltas since March last year. So it, it's actually really amazing because it's and particularly useful for our clients. We we call this the sort of um, the the facilitation phase or familiarization phase because clients can have the current legacy live system open and they can have the chain open and they can see their transactions on the chain in real time now. So it's read only mode um, and they can download. Um, and the benefit of this is that it's allowed one our clients to start getting familiar because the whole application that sits on top of the chain is is much more modern, new, um, and it allows them to get familiar with that. And it and at the same time, it allows us to build out. So currently, we're building out the other components of the system in and testing it. And then as we complete that, we we uh, release that into this production environment. So we, we ran a, a anonymized UAT test environment, and then we have a live data production environment with real deltas from our current uh, platform. And because, cut, uh, you know, we talked about the cutover on a, from a Friday to Monday, it sounds really simple, but you that whole change management process of an entire industry can be pretty daunting. But this has given us quite a lot of runway to, to lead up to it. We've got training videos. We have regular training uh, sessions with the industry as we release new chunks of, of, um, uh, of uh, the application into production. So, yeah, that, that's currently where we're at at the moment. Most important thing, sounds like they can see it literally side by side. Um, yeah, I mean, the other benefit is, you know, one these projects are often quite big and long and, and people get bored of you talking about what you're going to do, where this is actually tangible. They can touch and feel, log in and see it. Um, and, and it's a critical stepping stone for the industry in, in, in this migration. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now, you, you mentioned en passant a minute or two ago, FNZ. Uh, uh, you, you're clearly working with them. Why did you choose to work with them? So I think at the end of the day, it, it comes down to uh, synergies and benefits um, for, for both companies. They they were looking to build out uh, their chain offering. Um, we were looking for to get into the blockchain space, and and there was an opportunity to partner um, and sort of. Uh, share share what we had um you know we kind of brought 20 years of our ip and what we've been doing um we we also have an entire industry so it's not just a group of clients working in a cooperative it's actually entire end-to-end industry um so from uh, their perspective you've got a wonderful global proof of concept uh, of, of of a platform um, and, and we're getting a brand new um, scripted and architected solution. Um, you know, key for us, as I've mentioned several times, was putting our clients in a position where it was business as usual. 
um, with our existing businesses, our existing processes and model. And FNZ were prepared to do this for us. Um, obviously, they what's being built is being leveraged across into their global model. Um, yeah, so as I said, good synergies and benefits for parties. Right, so you both gained from it. But, but much earlier in this conversation, you, you mentioned um, Calistone. They're in broadly the same businesses as you are um, here in the UK, but also very strongly in Asia as well. Um, how did that relationship work? How did, how did they, because they, they've also undergone this, they've disrupted themselves, if you like, and, and switched to a blockchain model as well. How did, how did their experience um, influence how you went about this in your conversations with them? No, very interesting. I mean, we've got a got a very good relationship, and and I must say, huge respect um, for for the team there at Callistone. Um, and we've worked with them for for quite some time. We 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 were approached by a number of our product providers wanting to trade um, offshore, and we we engaged with Callistone so that, and we we built and managed that pipe from our application through to the Callistone application. And, and really what that did is allowed um, our clients to use the same existing process for the domestic market to transact offshore through the same, same application. And, and it's, I must say it's worked incredibly well. Um, so I, I think, I mean, we've also got a very similar model and, and ethos and, and, and instant, interestingly enough started looking at blockchain at a very similar time and started uh, talking about it together. And, you know, we both, I think, realized the opportunity and the threat and wanted to be drivers in, in our respective markets. Um, I, I think their, their model, they had an existing application and are going through the process of re-architecting it um, in, into the blockchain um, where we wanted something that was kind of clean, um, no legacy, um, et cetera. And we what was also critical is the ability for our clients not to have to change. And if we migrated to the Callistone model, we would have to fundamentally change all the business processes uh, within the existing industry. And, and that would have been quite traumatic. So yeah, it just didn't work out and, and, and we, been very fortunate with our FNZ relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you've touched on this already, but um, as you pointed out, closing one system on Friday, opening a new one on Monday is a, uh, is a lot more complex than, than it sounds. You've given yourselves these constraints that actually you, you want to minimize the impact of this on the existing users, but you also don't want to find yourself running the old system alongside the new one and allowing the clients to completely dictate the pace at which the the change occurs. So tell me in more detail, how difficult is it actually to move from your legacy technology platform to a blockchain-based platform? You've got to get rid of the old technology, you've got to you've got to build a new one, and you've got to bring the existing users with you. That's quite a quite a complex and potentially contradictory set of um, interests at work there. So I think it sounds worse than it actually is. Um... <laughs> I'm not sure my team. My, my journalistic team, cynicism there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure my team would be agreeing with me. But uh, look, I think the, the first thing is, you know, we've we've migrated all the static, all the funds, all the clients, all the rights, all the permissions, and as I said, we're running real time deltas. So 
at any second, the, the, the two systems are in, in parallel. So, I mean, that, that is huge and, and it takes out massive um, kind of process around that switch over, cut over on the weekend, because literally as at that minute on the Friday, when you cut over, the, the chain's 100% in sync. Um, we've, we've had this, trans, this facilitation familiarization phase as well. So, so the industry's had an extended period to, to get up to speed with the new look and feel um, with the system. And, and as we said, critically, on the Monday morning, their existing automation and existing process are exactly as the, the same as on Friday. So there's, there's zero impact to them. Um, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because as soon as you tell a user, oh, you don't have to worry about any change, they kind of go back and say, okay, I, will, I won't do anything. Um, but we actually want them to get involved and excited about the whole thing. Um, the other thing is they don't have a choice. <laughs> so it, that's quite a brutal, harsh thing, but everybody is moving on that weekend, whether they want to or not, uh, there is no alternative. So if you want to continue using FinSwitch, then on the Monday, you need to log into the new system because the old one will not be available. So I suppose that that stick um, approach, uh, there could be pros and cons to it, but, but it does help. Um, and then I think I've touched on a few things, you know, it's all about removing the noise and there are a lot of perceived barriers to change, um, communication, training, um, all, all those good things, all, all are critical, they're smaller, but critical steps in, in getting to this point. Um, we're not there yet. This is all the theory. Um, we'll see. But you've, you've made it easy for them in the sense they can carry on using their existing system if that's what they want to do, or they can choose a vendor to give them a new one. Um, you clearly tried to, to minimize the impact on them, but you also set this deadline. Uh, this is going to happen and um, you need to, to be able to work with it on, on that fateful Monday, Monday morning. So um, what's your sense of how much, um, need for change and in particular how much spending how much investment spending has this imposed on your users despite the efforts you've made to minimize the impact on them what are they spending and how much disruption has it caused them um very little or minimal um we've had some data cleanup issues we've got a legacy system of 20 plus years so there's bound to be uh, some data that needs to be cleaned up. And that was one of the benefits in this migration is you, you really get a great opportunity to clean out some of the, the, the rubbish data and, and make sure that it's all clean and, and, and shiny. Um, the fact that they don't have to change anything on, on day one uh, means that actually there is no spend. Where there is change is we are rolling out the, the, the new ISO APIs um, and we're encouraging clients to, to start using them. Um, so, so currently we have web services and we've given clients a six-month window after we go live um, to transition across to the API. So that's where the first sort of spend will come in that they'll have to 
uh, redesign and rebuild their existing interface um, to, to the new platform through the API. So, so at this stage, that's the only change. There are a number of clients who are already well down that track and already doing that development. Um, but at this stage, they're the exception rather than the norm. So for the majority, there's, there's no cost. There's, there's, there's no, no real change for them. There are advantages. I, I, we haven't really, we haven't really touched on those. You, you mentioned um, they get to clean up their data. You touched, I think, on, on integration with what's with transactions in the marketplace as well. So there, there, are, there are advantages to this, right, to the transition. There are real plus reasons for them to do this as well as uh, negative ones. Yes. I mean, the, the key is, is they're now on a platform that enables a future state, um, whether they want to or not. They're on it, um, and and I think what excites us and we we're hoping for it's going to take one or two progressive guys to really start uh, upsetting the apple cart and and uh, getting this process going, and then I think we'll see it accelerate. But it will take time, and, and and that was one of the concerns exactly as to how long this could take. And there's always going to be clients who are going to be followers and quite slow in adoption. So we needed to make sure that it didn't hamstrung um, those that wanted to advance uh, and, and leverage the new technology. So yeah, that, that, that's been pretty key. Um, you know, the API, one of the limitations of our existing system is access to underlying data. Um, it's not that flexible and easy to get that, whereas now they can control and manage that um, themselves rather than be dependent on someone like FinSwitch or another vendor to create it for it. Those, those APIs are significantly more powerful. And, and you know, hopefully they'll see that benefit. And those progressive guys that you've found, have you found anyone progressive enough to want to operate their own node? You've indicated you don't think that that's going to be the first choice, but are there some looking at doing that? Um, at this stage, no. Um, so, you know, I think the, 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 all the conversations about are we prepared to host the node on their behalf, get them, let them set up, get familiar, and decide how they want to, to leverage the technology um, and what's, what sort of stages they want to, or what components of, of the blockchain they want to use. And I think that's the reality, and it'll take some time um, before we see uh, independent nodes being being hosted. Um, it's difficult to, to predict how soon or far out that's going to be, but rather than have that as an impediment, let's just set it up and make it easy for the guys. It's there, it's available. We'll, we'll manage it on their behalf, um, and you know it allows them to get up and running far quicker. You know, again, it's just removing those perceived barriers out of the way. Mm -hmm. And what about FinSwitch? What new services are you going to be able to develop as a result of this? You've mentioned easier access to data, for example. Is there anything else which will be new for the users? I mean, the, the, the obvious ones that, that stand out is, I, I think it's absolutely essential that the, the whole settlement process is integrated into to what, what we're doing. Um, and, and certainly in partnership with FNZ, we'll put that um, 
layer in place. Um, I think that's going to be phased um, over, over time because there's going to be a combination of, before we can go to, to, to real true tokenization, combination of that and fiat, into, most probably integration of existing fiat to start with and then phased over time. Um, I, th I think the whole KYC um, AML is, is going to be really important. There are a lot of initiatives um, taking place um, in that space, whether we actually develop it um, as part of this project or we collaborate. Um, I, I'm very pro creating ecosystems and collaboration. If, if there's someone who's got a good solution, let's integrate um, into our model with that. So, I, so those are, are currently um, two of the obvious ones. The, the data analytics and dashboarding is, is another key one. Um, and, and then there's the op opportunity around collateraliz collateralization of the retail assets. Um, so, so that looks interesting at this stage. Um, we haven't got any specific plans around that, but certainly those, I think that's where we're going to limit it. And then we'll leave it to, to vendors and industry to build out on top of the, of, of the chain. Mm -hmm. I was interested by your reference there to, to KYC. Now, almost every asset manager I speak to complains to me about the cost of know your client, anti-money laundering, countering the financing of terrorism, sanction screening, you know, just actually onboarding the investors, whether they're corporate yeah. or, or retailers, become a major a cost. It's an area which is where costs keep going up. They're basically throwing bodies at it. Um, is there a is there a is is this is there something which this new blockchain-based platform can allow you to offer them, or they can develop in conjunction with you and/or third parties to make that process less costly and less painful? Is this an area you're looking at? I mean, we certainly believe that's the case. Um, is is there a good working model at this stage? I don't think so. Um, but there are a lot of models, and they're evolving very, very fast. Um, I mean, there, there's there's talks of uh, creating secondary markets in sort of within obviously defined market where if I've KYC'd somebody, um, and you want to they want to transact with you, you can use my KYC if it complies with various checks and balances at, at a reduced cost and you would pay me. Um, they're all ex there are a lot of exciting opportunities um, in, in terms of allowing regulators more visibility of trades and scrutiny, identity checks. Um, so I think this, this is evolving fast because I think a lot of people acknowledge it that a it's a pain point and it's it's very expensive and so i think within a short space of time there's going to be some very workable solutions um, that can be integrated with with the, the order process I'd, I'd noticed in fact the south african banks are working on a, on a digital identity um project of some sort are you does that interest you are you involved in that is it something you can see being integrated into what you're doing at some point in the future most definitely, um, you know, so they, they've got a far bigger base. Obviously, it's more in the retail space. Um, at this point, you know, ours is more at the, I said, at the institutional level, so it's a little bit simpler. But, you know, ultimately, it would be really nice if we can provide the infrastructure to the entire industry, including 
the individual retail space. Um, and then this becomes particularly powerful. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Let's get the basics of what we've got first. <laughs> and uh, then we'll look, look a bit future, uh, forward into that. You've referred a number of times to, to data and, and how you're going to improve the data you can give back to, to the users of the platform. Are you, are you thinking at all of becoming a data vendor, if you like? In other words, you, you could maybe start to sell data to, to third parties who can make use of it. Can this become a, a profit center as opposed to one of the services you supply to your existing users? It's a difficult one. Um... Yes, there's certainly the possibility um, and there's the potential. But at this stage, I think our view is let's tread carefully in the space. Um, so at the moment, we have guys like Bloomberg who will come and get pricing data from us. Um, and they, they will pay a, a nominal subscription fee for that. Um, it's convenient. It's easy for them. It's in a nice standardized manner and they can pull it through web services on an automated basis. Um, if we don't sell it to the product providers, um, and that's free for them as part of their service. And we actually also provide it free um, to many of the, the, the brokers um, out there. Um, so, but, but in terms of aggregated flows and anonymized data, um, Certainly, I think there's potential. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, we've already seen, you know, Calistone is puts out quite a lot of information in terms of the, the global flows and the trends that they're seeing, and, and and maybe that's a stepping stone in terms of their process of of looking to monetize it over time. You know, it, it creates interest, it creates um, activity. People come into the the business to to get that information. Mm, yeah, Calistone is exactly the the model I, I, I had in mind. You mentioned a minute ago collateralization, presumably posting these fund shares or, or units to collateralize uh, liabilities um, that your users might might have. Now, um, straight, the South African CSD has a, a collateral management engine it's been, it's been building for some time. Do you, I mean, that's an obvious area for you to cooperate, but what is your relationship with the South African CSD? They're doing all this security settlement, you're doing all this fund settlement. Um, is there a lot of scope for, for cooperation between the, the two of you, or do you kind of inhabit parallel universes apart from the odd opportunity like collateral management? So at the moment, it's definitely parallel universes. I and mean, we've had discussions in the past. Um, we certainly, we went quite far in exploring the settlement options, um, utilizing their links into the Reserve Bank. Um, unfortunately, we, we weren't able to take it um, a lot further. Um, but certainly going forward, um, I, I think there's, there's certainly a lot of opportunity and, and we will definitely be engaging with them. Uh, it makes logical sense. Now, settlement in in central bank money, which which Swift is able to uh, sorry not Swift Straight is able to provide on the on the uh, on the securities side, um, prompts me to ask: How are you handling the cash leg of of, of settlement on a on a blockchain? It's, this is a universal issue with the technology all over the planet. How do you get 
various solutions have been come up. I mean, stable coins are, are one, payment tokens are another. And our friends at Finality have come up with an interesting um, uh, proof of concept and how you make central bank money available through omnibus accounts, for example. So there's lots of people Great. working on this, but how, how are you doing it? How are you settling the cash side of, of fund transactions? So, so currently at the moment, uh, we're using off-chain traditional banking solution, um, and that will continue in the, in the near term. Uh, and then we're busy... Commercial bank money, that means, right? Yes, yeah. 100%, yeah. Um, and, and then basically we're engaging now with the industry to see how we can aug augment that traditional settlement process um, and integrate with the new settlements, stablecoin, CBDC, um, Etc. And and I, and I think it's going to be. I don't think there's going to be one single solution. I think, unfortunately, initially there's going to be phased and several solutions, and then as this gets more mainstream, to use a better word, want of a better word, then we'll see that um, coming through and, and and limiting to maybe one or two options. Mm -hmm. At this stage, we haven't committed either way. Um, and we, we want to make it work for our clients. So we need their engagement and their buy-in. And obviously, we need to engage with the, the banking institutions as well. So that's key uh, and a lot of moving parts to put together. I'd be right to think a, a CBDC and the South African Reserve Bank is working on a central bank digital currency. A CBDC would be more than useful to an organization <laughs> like yours, would it not? Yeah, I mean, it, it would be the, the ultimate. Um, it, it would solve a lot of problems and simplify the process significantly. Um, so we've had a number of discussions uh, with the Reserve Bank, but I think that's that will evolve over time. You know, right now, um, it's too early for anybody to commit to anything, or um, but certainly the engagement has already happened. Um, ongoing discussions and you know we'll see over time how that transpires well, one of the things that people get excited about in relation to cbdc's is it could actually make cross-border uh, settlements more more efficient is that part of the part of your thinking as well absolutely um the opportunity to improve the connecting the other regions of the South African fund market um, certainly enhanced by this process, um, as well as to expand the, the customer uh, base uh, and, and the sort of investment funds that could participate in the South African market. But again, I think we want to get this working first and then we'll start broadening that footprint out. If we, if we imagine a, a world in which CBDCs supercharge or make much cheaper cross-border settlements, I don't know how, how important that side of the business is to you, but you, you, you've mentioned some of your users are um, wanting to, to transact offshore. Um, do, you, do you see cross-border fund investing as a, as a major growth access for FinSwitch as you look into the medium and long-term future? difficult to say we, we've certainly seen that part of the business growing uh, more and more of our clients are utilizing um, that Calistone uh, interface that that we've built and we, we're seeing the volumes grow in that space um, we do have some 
regional flows. They're still pretty small within the sort of South African, uh, Southern African markets. Um, I would say most probably the offshore space is bigger. Um, certainly in terms of this project, we right now busy building out that, that Calistone integration. Um, so it's key for us to have that in place so that that, that, that base launch pad is, is there and ready for broader, broader based adoption. Um, obviously the interoperability of these blockchains is going to be key. Um, and, I, and I think there's going to be increasing pressure um, to, from all these um, various options to make sure that they are. I mean, it, it seems crazy that they would operate in isolation. The more the easier the access, the more flow through the blockchain, the greater the adoption, and it just benefits everybody. It's one of those kind of self-fulfilling cycles. Um, so inter interoperability going forward is going to be critical and, and obviously key for this. And interoperating not just with blockchain networks like Calistone, but South Africa has a pretty lively cryptocurrency scene. There's discussions taking place about tokenizing securities, tokenizing funds, tokenizing all sorts of things. So looking forward, interoperating with lots of different blockchain protocols is going to become an issue for you like it like it does for, for everyone else. How are you how are you thinking about that in the absence of a of a usable standard that can enable you to interoperate? with other blockchain protocols? At this stage, trading very carefully. Um, you know, at, at this stage, we are focused on what's core to us and our existing clients um, and broadening that out maybe within the, the, the retail, um, in, in retail investor. As, as far as extending that further, I think, we'll see how that space evolves. Uh, we're not rushing into that. I'm, I was interested to see that you'd recently switched to the ISO 2082 standard for your, for your APIs. The APIs are obviously crucial to, to what you're doing. That provides you with a, with a standard dictionary, which should enable you to interoperate more easily with, with, I don't know, the entities that are on the other side of the API, if you like, but also looking forward to entities abroad as well. Um, was that, was that basically the the reason for your decision to use ISO twenty eighty two interoperability, or did you was there some other process in your mind as well? Well, I mean, I think if you if you look to the relationship that we've had built up with the project with FNZ, um, becoming more inter internationally compatible was it was a key uh, criteria. It, it becomes a no-brainer that that we should adopt uh, a global uh, standard, and, and the interoperability is absolutely critical. You know, it it, it will reduce costs and risks over time of any integrate you know future integration work for for our customers. So, yep, it it, it was key uh, and non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. Now, tokenization, which would be in many ways a, gr a great opportunity for you, has become a very live topic in London and in, in Luxembourg of late. Is tokenization of funds, not a lot happening, a lot of talk here, I might say, but is tokenization of funds on the agenda of the funds industry in South Africa yet? It's starting to become, I think it's still very slow. Um, 
I think people are still working through the challenges and, the, well, more the opportunities, looking at the opportunities. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a major um, initiative at this point in time, uh, but I'm sure it, it's going to start ramping up in line with what's happening more globally. And you can support it when it happens, right? Some of it, maybe. We, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, you know, again, I think we... There are going to be components that we will want to support, and there'll be other components that we won't. Um, and, and most of that's going to be driven by what's relevant uh, and applicable to our clients and what they're doing. So, so that that's going to steer guide us a lot in in where we go and, and in that process. Mm-hmm. Well, you've certainly chosen the right technology for it, anyway. One final question for you: um, You're in you're in this prolonged transition to to the new. The new platform, but there will come, will come a time when it, when when you've you, you've had that weekend switch. The platform is bedding down; everyone's used to it. What do you want to do next? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of our roles is, is obviously to continue to look to improve operational efficiencies. Um, I think there's a still quite a, a long road to travel around leveraging what the blockchain can offer um, and there's a great opportunity to work together with our clients in in that space in delaminating the existing operational process and operational models. Um, So we'll continue to look for pain points. Um, We've already mentioned a a whole lot of them, settlement, um, KYC. So so those those are gonna still take uh, focus and time and effort to, to really bed down and become mainstream. And, and then the key is to remain you know, relevant. Um, we, we occupy quite a privileged position in the industry. Yes, we, we, we're the dominant player, but we have to recognize what a privileged position that is. And it's for us to continue to maintain that um, and act and leverage on this sort of trusted advisor and market utility position. And so, so, so all of these things are, are critical. Um, I, I think as, as the blockchain evolves, we, we will maybe move more into sort of industry gatekeeper um, type role. Um, and we're able to do that because we're not, we differentiated from a lot of the other providers because they're vendors with pure commercial um, for profit uh, initiatives. Where, where we occupy a slightly different position and role. Um, but it's very easy to mess that up. And uh, so we've got to be on our toes. And it's, it's constant engagement internally with our clients, looking outward in, in terms of what's ha- happening elsewhere, um, and then launching those relevant initiatives. Um, I'm really excited about opportunities around data. I think that's going to be very significant um, and and making it accessible and and usable. Um, And and then just reducing costs, because at the end of the day, if we can create uh, a platform that reduces the investment cost for the end investor, we've come a long way. Um, It's become very expensive and this is key to that democratization of, of, of investments for the man in the street. Nick Bakoff, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us. 